listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And i got to tell you something, people. Our guest today is such a talented gentleman, and I remember when I was younger, hearing him on WMMR and YSP, and then I, remember, I still remember when he was on the King Biscuit Flower Hour. And in his albums, he always looked so cool, and now I'm glad to have him on my show, and my guest is Steve Forbert. How you doing, Steve? I'm good, Steve. I'm glad to be talking to you. Now, you said you're in the Asbury Park area. I know the Jackrabbit Slim live in Asbury Park you released. When did you record that? It was back in the middle of January, in the uh, dead of winter. And uh, it was a Saturday afternoon at a place called uh, House of Independence in Asbury Park. Now, what made you choose that location? Well, there are three options around um, Asbury Park where I might play with when I'm playing with the full band. One being the Stone Pony, the other being the Wonder Bar, and House of Independence being the other one. And it was uh, at the end of the uh, hectic Light of Day festival that they have each year. And that's just the way it worked out with all the various commitments of, of, of those venues I mentioned. They're, they're all fun to play. Now, what made you choose to do Jack Rabbit Slim? I know it's uh, but 40 years old. Um, um, what made you choose that album? And how did you adjust to playing it? I saw an interview with you where you said... People expect a certain song at a certain time. But what made you choose to do this album and release it? Well, first off, we uh, the record label I'm, I've been with for a few years now, Blue Rose Music, wanted to put out an uh, anniversary vinyl copy. So I remastered the, uh, the record with Ted Jensen, whom I've known for quite some time now, Ted Master actually mastered my first record which was called Alive on Arrival so um, that was the first thing was that it was a 40 year anniversary and then um, we did a few sh shows to sort of let people know that uh, the, about, about the anniversary and to remind people and um, the word they all everybody uses these days is to celebrate it so okay we did a few shows, and then we get, we we got this one on tape. Uh, you may hear some dogs in the background, people, but I can't help that. They're fine animals. Um, they're keeping an eye on things. So uh, we uh, got got a good recording um, of, of uh, the show in Asbury Park, and uh, it was just one of those days where uh, the guitar stayed in tune particularly good, and the audience was particularly fun, and the recording came out particularly good. And so uh, next thing you know, we arranged to um, to release it uh, with, with Time Live. Now, when you set up your, explain the process when you set up your playlist. Like, what were you expecting? Because you don't go exactly, the album's not exactly in verbatim of the original album. How do you do that? Because I'm sure when you wrote the album, you had the ideas of how the song should be in track. How do you do it now when you come back and play something that definitely the songs probably have changed their meaning somewhat. Well, the, the, the meanings haven't changed so much as the fact that um, 
Romeo's tune has remained popular. And uh, after we sequenced the original album, of course, it went on to become a hit. And and so, you know, you just don't want to play your um, Queen of Hearts as your first card or perhaps your Ace of Spades. So, so I couldn't really start the record off as it originally did with Romeo's tune because it's, uh, we want to save it for the end of the show. Um, so the, we had to make that adjustment. We started with the second song and then we ended with Romeo's tune, but saved January 23 in the hopes of getting an encore and wrapping things up with uh, a song called January 23rd, which ends the album on kind of a philosophical note. And, uh, and so those were the only changes. <clears throat> now, how does it make you feel as an artist that you're, album is 40 years old but it still holds up like i listen to a lot of classic rock and so many so much music holds up for me but i'm a listener as an artist how does it feel when you go holy crap you know people still enjoy this music well it's it's what you're always going for so naturally it's rewarding it's rewarding but um you know, the, you try your best with every record you make and you try your best with every song you complete and present to people. And um, and so uh, I, I guess it's rewarding and gratifying, but it's exactly what you're shooting for. So um, it's very nice. Now... How did this whole career start? How did you get into music? I mean, it's been such a lengthy career, a successful career. And, you know, you look back at it, and you've been doing this for a long time. What made little Steve Forbert get into music when he was young? Well, I was always into music, and I was always into uh, what we call songs, and I went to the church a lot. I, Steve, a lot of this is, I must say, I'll just say it once. I have a book called uh, Big City Cat, My Life in Folk Rock, which, of course, tells the, the whole story of the first 40 years or so. Uh, well, I guess my life up through about age 60 it was. But anyway, songs in church and songs on the radio, I liked all kind of things, you know, and I remember hearing Fever, probably by Peggy Lee, and uh, the Cascades, Rhythm of the Rain, and this, this, that, and the other, and then, of, of course, the Beatles hit, and um, what really, uh, really pulled me into it for good was the, um, the Birds hit, Mr. Tambourine Man. I've said that many, many times, but that's just, that's the simple truth of it. That, that was uh, what they call folk rock, and it, it sort of hit my DNA just right. And I, um, you know, spent the next few years in Mississippi playing in rock and roll bands and, and, and having fun with it. And then um, I went to New York City and got into um, folk rock, per se. Now, with the New York City, I heard you used to play at CBGB. What was the scene like? What, what do you recollect the scene was like back then when you were starting out there? Because it's quite different when you think about CBGB now that it was well uh, I, I kind of 
kind of compare CBGBs to my uh, visits up to uh, check out Max's Kansas City. <laughs> so to me, my impression of CBGBs is that it was actually a friendly place. And um, sure, it's renowned as, as the uh, uh, haven of punk rock and that sort of stuff with a lot of aggressive attitude, but it was a, a friendly group of uh, people that played there and hung out there by and large. And um, there was a lot of variety there, so much variety that, that they even asked me to play there. And, and I might add solo and acoustic. So that's the place that, that, that I knew, and I was kind of working both sides of the, of, of, of the line. I would go over to the West Village, where I belonged, <laughs> and uh, play doggedly and religiously at Folk City. And then uh, places that became available, like Kenny's Castaways, or perhaps the uh, other end, slash the bitter end. But at the same time, I had, uh, you know, as I said, I grew up playing in rock and roll bands, and I, I uh, was aware of the Ramones and Patti Smith, and uh, uh, word was getting out on tele the group television, and I, I was interested in all that. So I, I started, I just went over there and s to see if I could play there too, and it all worked out because, I, like I'm saying, it, it was it was a fairly friendly place, really. Well, I've heard I've heard the community was uh, it was new, it was a new scene. And that must be great as an artist because you're, you're sitting there and people are friendly and people have a certain idea of what they think maybe the music may sound like. But as someone with, with your background, it must have been good just because it was something different. It was something different and uh, it was moving forward. It was, um, for, uh, as, a, as a prime example, that's where I met Danny Fields, who along with Linda Stein... Uh, became my managers at the time they were managing the Ramones. So that wouldn't have happened over there in Folk City uh, or, you know, uh, some of the more folky clubs. Uh, the, the the time for those for that scene had kind of come and gone, although, although I enjoyed being a part of it a lot. Uh, but to get into the CBGB thing was, um, that was... Um, you know, that was, if so to speak, a shot at the big time. Now, how hard was it to get a record deal back there? Because, you know, you think now there's there's not really, it's it's different now. But how hard was it to you to hustle to get that record deal? Was it an easy transition for you or did it take you a while? Well, in reality, it took me years. We made a, a, a an album in Mississippi and I guess it was 75 and took it all the way out to California to shop it. And that didn't work out. Um, then I uh, was scuffling around New York city f uh, for a year and a half before alive on Orion. And uh, all the time before I met Danny and Linda, I was doing the thing people do, which was sending out uh, tapes to, record companies and all that sort of thing. So I was trying and trying for, you know, so it wasn't a piece of cake. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think it worked out particularly well because I was 
did have management with Danny Fields and Linda Stein, who were uh, on the cutting edge. They were doing, you know, they were plugged into the uh, rock and roll recording industry in New York City at the time. So that that helped me, you know, jump ahead. And I, then I, in conclusion, uh, John Rockwell from the New York Times came down to hear me play a solo show at Kenny's Castaways, which jumps you back onto the other side of Broadway <laughs> and uh, into a more folky type club. And he wrote a very favorable review in that, 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 uh, that was what uh, really solidified the whole thing of getting a record deal. Now you get a deal. Do you remember the first time you heard yourself on the radio? Well, I do, but that was in Mississippi. We, we released a single and, and it was played a lot locally. So technically, you know, that's when it was. Now, you also came out with Early Morning Rain. That's, um, tell me about that album. Well, that's the, um, the cover album. It's just going through my mind that Sean Colvin put one out pretty quickly called uh, Cover Girl. You know, and uh, lots of people want to do that as a pet project. It just took me about 40 years till I finally got around to it. And all that time I was making a growing list of songs that might be considered pages and pages, in fact, of titles. And I just finally decided to, um, you know, as we get along further and now we're in the year 2020 and things change so much. I just thought it was a worthwhile thing to record some Gordon Lightfoot and some uh, 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 Ian Tyson and Leonard Cohen songs and that sort of thing and put it out there uh, for the record, if you will. And if anybody younger comes across it, they can hear these old style songs and um, the stories they, you, you know, typically, usually had to tell. Now, you said about your book. Tell me about how your book came about. What, what, it's so great that you wrote that book um, and you co-wrote it. How did you decide to do that? And how do you put a life of music into one book? Um, I was, believe it or not, I thought maybe I could put some of my songs together. And the person who runs Blue Rose Music, Joe Paletto, was uh, an inspiration to me there. And we were going to try to see if we couldn't construct uh, some sort of stage play. Uh, I commend uh, David Byrne. He pulled it off. <laughs> it's so hard to do. But I, I uh, tried to write out a little uh, storyline and this, that, and the other. And I kind of lost interest in it. But I had pages of anecdotes that I was going to give to the person who would, who would write the so-called book for the play if it had ever materialized. And, um, and so I had these anecdotes, a couple of few pages of stories, and it just grew from there. I'm like, well, I, I may not want to put seven years into a project working toward the goal of off-Broadway or maybe, you know, uh, phenomenal luck with Broadway, uh, but I, I could write a book. <laughs> so 
I worked with Terry Boyd, a good friend of mine who is a, a, an editor uh, as by, by trade, and that, that was a lot of fun, and that was a perfect uh, thing for us to do. We've been friends for a long time. Now, how have you seen the music industry change since the early beginnings when you started out? <laughs> I, you know, it's, 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 it's not even the same thing, Steve. Well, just because it's just different, it's not the same feeling or... It's uh, when you talk about the music industry, you you're, you're we're basically talking about pop music, and pop music is what you can sell to the largest number of people. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be a record man, right? So, pop music it changes, and it's changed. Uh, I'd almost say pretty kind of beyond recognition since when I started, and since the things that inspired me when I was. 10, 10 years old to pick up a guitar it's I don't know where to begin I, I wouldn't be interested in it now um, it's just so it's just grown up and there's not a lot of uh, chance left into it there's not a lot of serendipity nobody's going to turn over a record and say well they told us to play this side but uh, in reality you know here's the hit um, you know that sort of thing it's um, it's just really cut and dry to me, and and what they call pop music is is now as much about the, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just stating the obvious. It's now it, it's just a surface attitude and uh, and just just going with the moment. And I, I don't really feel like many people have much to say. It certainly does it to me. So whenever I encounter it, I'm at pop music today. It's just a different animal. Um, so far away from something that uh, you could really learn from, in my opinion. Now, you said there's nothing to say. How did you find your voice? You know, you, you you've been a very prolific songwriter. Did you? Well, I did, I, I'm not saying there's nothing to say. There are things to say, but I just. <laughs> sorry, okay. I just. You know, I just don't hear pop radio, uh, you know, saying those things. It's, it, I put it in my book, you know, things that you can learn from and uh, things to ponder and, and, and uh, uh, perhaps a little bit of wisdom or perhaps a whole lot of humor or whatever. Um, those are the things I loved. So I'm, I'm sorry, what was your question? No, I was going to say, how has your writing style and your, your change through the years have you grown through your relationships, or how has that been? Is something that keeps you keeps something that keeps you going? Uh, I don't, it's it's still just the same as it ever was. Um, I have a new record that's nearly finished of eleven new songs, and uh, it's it's still it's still the same values. It's still the same. I still have the same. Uh, bar. The, I try to keep the bar just as high as it as it always has been to me when I'm when I'm saying a song is done and I want you to listen to it. And that's really it. Um, 
I just can't say that it's changed rad- radically. It's just song to song, and it's singer-songwriter stuff, and it's folk rock, and it's about the the experiences um, that, that, that the, the lyrics would uh, relate. That's what it is. Now, I know you have some live dates coming up. What has it been like for someone who's performed so much to, with this shutdown, not be able to get out there? Uh, fortunately for, for, for me, I'm 65, not 25. And I have things to do. Uh, we we uh, put in a lot of effort promoting the record you and I talked about, which is uh, Early Morning Rain earlier this year. And I've been working on this new record quite a bit. And um, there you go. I've even gotten a little bit on a tangent and compiled some uh, live performances of Jimmy Rogers songs here in the last 10 days. So I'm interested in doing another tribute to Jimmy Rogers. Um, So these are the things that have kept me busy and it hadn't been, it it hadn't been too much of an impediment, but you know, if I was 25 and just releasing my second record or something like that, you know, ready to tour and get around and, 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 and encounter all that, expectation and all that fun it, it would be pretty devastating you know it you know that that would be really different if for example i had just released jack rabbit slim but couldn't tour suddenly now you earlier this year you won the governor's art award in mississippi explain what that is because any anything that says an award must be a great feeling it's the, it's the governor's award every year they um they give out an award to some various um, facets of the arts in Mississippi, and so it, it was. It was great. After all these years, they they, they gave me, among others, there was an artist and a, a person who worked with us, uh, a, some uh, choral groups, and uh, um, there was a a, a, a ballet veteran who was literally a hundred years old and I was among these this group that received this award and uh, you know it, it, it's, it's just terrific to be there's some very nice names in Mississippi's award list of, of the governor's award through the years so um, that's what it was now, and so an, an award is nice that's right now you, you mentioned you have a new. You're working on a new album. When when you formulate an album now, do you formulate it when you used to, like how you used to, like you put your songs in certain order? Because a lot of times people are buying singles now and they they miss the whole art of what a great album from track to track sounds like. Well, uh, I'm sorry. What what exactly is the question? An album, you know, back in the day, you would hear track to track to track, and they were put in an order by the artist. Now it just seems like a lot of people are selling singles and stuff like that. Do you, when you're coming out with this next new album, are you going to sit down and decide how, what order it should go that makes it flow evenly? Oh, absolutely. Um, It's the same for me as if I were putting out my second or third record. I'm just thinking those terms, and we have 11 songs. 
So I'll be hanging on to that concept until I can't do it anymore, Steve, really. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I have, you know, it's, it's a little bit like what we were saying about uh, what I was saying about pop music today. I don't let, let it, there's nothing for me there to be really, uh, very rarely would anything pop out uh, and inspire me. So I, it doesn't matter to me that people don't do albums anymore. It's the way I think about it. And it, it's a very good format. And it's a, it's a good challenge to have 10 or 11 songs and, um, try to make them all good you know when that that sort of lp concept started with uh people like simon and garfunkel and the beatles and you know all the names and 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 i'm still on that um you know magic carpet ride now you have some shows coming up will you play stuff from the new album play stuff from jack rabbit slim how are you going to set your set lists this but you, you better ask me that one again I'm, I'm not even sure where I'm, I'm hoping these shows will go well that I'm fixing to do this week one in Annapolis and one in v Vienna Virginia so uh, please ask me again no I was going to ask you how do you, or how are you going to prepare your set list for these upcoming shows is it going to be stuff from early morning rain stuff from Jack Rabbit Slim or are you going to mix everything up <laughs> I'm going to mix everything up I always do um, we put a lot of effort into early morning rain, so I want people to be aware of it. And we'll do a couple of those songs, two or three. And, and I always do stuff from Jack Rabbit Slim, and I don't have any problem with that, even though it's 40 years old. I still relate to that in a big way. And uh, there will be some of the newer things and, and stuff, you know, through all of these 40 years. Well, that's great, man. I, you know, I'm glad you took the time to talk to me, and I'm glad you're a New Jersey guy. Now, how long have you lived in New Jersey? I've lived here about three years, and of course, I've been playing clubs and, and theaters and stuff here for so long. I, it's it's uh, it's a really good spot for lyric-oriented music, and it's it's meant all the difference to me. Uh, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Boston. On down to Virginia, which I'm going to be playing this week, um, it, it's just made all the difference. It's uh, It just goes back to a lot of the FM stations and some of the old magazines and things that, that created such a good culture. Uh, and and I've been able to be a part of that for, for all this time. Well, I want to thank you. You know, your music has meant a lot to a lot of us. And uh, so your website, people, you can go to steveforbert.com. I know you're on Twitter. It's at Steve Forbert. And do you have any last closing slots, uh, thoughts about what's going on with society right now? Wow, you, uh, <clears throat> you've got a pretty broad question there. Um. What's going on with society right now? Well, we have six or seven billion people on the planet. And just the very energy of that is pretty crazy. So I think that that, that affects everything. It's just so much 
energy. And uh, I think it, uh, it, it inherently takes away some of the simplicity of, of, of uh, life, you know. So I think things are just getting more distracting and, and a person is naturally uh, taken away from, um, you know, really getting a good look at, uh, shall we say, a hummingbird or, uh, you know, really listening to a tree frog or something like that. We got, I, I think I'm right. I think it's over 7 billion people and growing at an alarming rate. So that's what I think is happening. Well, that's great, Steve. I want to thank you so much. And uh, good luck on your shows. Good luck on the album. People, go buy the book. Go to his website. And you be safe out there, okay? All right. Thank you for talking to me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. You have a great day. See ya. All right. Bye-bye.